0: Hey Amarillo, I'm Jason Boyette, and you're listening to Hey Amarillo, the interview podcast featuring some of the most interesting people and stories of Amarillo, Texas. Hey Amarillo is supported by the Texas Route 66 Festival, which begins this week. This 10-day festival will start Friday, June 2nd, with the Route 66 Block Party in and around Hodgetown. The festival team is going to be closing off 8th Street at 4 p.m. that day for a live band, food trucks, beer carts, and sponsor tents, including food and drink options that reflect the Route 66 era. After that, watch the Sod Poodles game. You can enjoy a fireworks show after the game with 50s and 60s music themed around Route 66. That's the Route 66 block party this Friday, June 2nd, in downtown Amarillo, to kick off the Texas Route 66 Festival. For more details, head to visitamarillo.com. And as part of this podcast partnership with Brick and Elm Magazine, I want to give a podcast shout out to Street Volkswagen, online at streetvw.com, to the running store Get Fit, online at mygetfitplace.com, and the American Quarter Horse Association, online at aqha.com. Read the latest issue of Brick and Elm, the one with the bird on the cover, at brickandelm.com, or pick an issue up in local stores. Today's guest is Mark Zimmerman. Mark is the executive director of Transformation Park, a new homeless shelter being built in Amarillo. And this is a new career for Mark, who spent the past 20 plus years on staff as a pastor at Hillside Christian Church. I wanted to have him on the show because Transformation Park is such an exciting and unconventional nonprofit. It's a public-private partnership that brings together the city of Amarillo, local churches, and the business world in order to address Amarillo's homelessness problem. And it is a problem. We have about three times the state average when it comes to homeless individuals. Well, the Transformation Park groundbreaking was earlier this year. You'll start to see it take shape over the next year at 4th and South Parker Streets. So Mark and I talk about that project. We talk about his career and why it's time to try something new in serving the homeless community. Here's Mark Zimmerman. Mark Zimmerman, welcome to the Hey Amarillo podcast. Thanks
1: for being here. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I, uh, I'm excited to talk to you, and I want to start with you, though, the same way I start with all of my guests, and that's okay. to ask, why are you here? So what brought you to Amarillo in the first
1: place? Man, 22 and a half years ago, uh, God called us to Amarillo. Uh, we were in Atlanta, Georgia. My wife, Debbie, and okay. I, we were in a church there in Atlanta. And, uh, Judd Wilhite, who was on staff at Paramount Terrace, he and I had gone to college together and he called, said, Hey, we've got a job open. I want you to come interview. Um, he said, what do you think Debbie will say? I said, she's going to call you a troublemaker. And, you know, she was, he was actually her favorite of all my friends Hmm. and, um, like very long story short, she did exactly what I thought she would do. She's like, You're not moving me from Amarillo. I'm not moving. You're not moving me from Atlanta. Yeah. I'm not moving to Amarillo and you can't make me. Those were her exact words. We did not have words for another probably 36 hours. Uh-huh. And uh, just let
0: it simmer a little bit. Yeah. And-
1: yeah. And um, I went to her I said, I have to give them an answer. And she looked right at me and she goes, If you can tell me that this is what God wants, then I'll go. And I'm like, I, I can't tell you that, honestly. We need to go and check this out and pray through it. And meanwhile, her sister kind of worked on her a little bit. And so she relented. We went, came for the interview. Um, We got on the plane in Atlanta on Delta, flew here. And about halfway, the captain comes on and says, folks, the huge storm in Dallas. Surprising, you know, airport is shut down. So we're going to circle here. We circled Louisiana, Mississippi, somewhere like that for like three hours. He goes back on at some point and says, if we don't get a slot, and he goes, I've flown like 20-something years. I've never seen this before. There is no slot for us around DFW. And so he uh, says, we we got about 15 more minutes, or we're going to have to turn around and go back. You know, you get to that point of no return. Yeah, they They got they gotta go one way run to run the out of gas. The, yeah, yeah. And so uh, my wife looks at me, and she says, see, God doesn't even want us to move to Amarillo. <laughs> I was like, okay, well, we get to finally get to Dallas. Of course, the next flight, the Puddle jumper from DFW to here, that was big back when it was the twin engine you Yeah, know, yeah. Jets, propeller. The propellers, the luggage was in the middle. And um, yeah, we've been on those planes lots and lots of times, but they'd already canceled that. So there was no way to get here. I was supposed to teach Bible study at 1030 the next morning. So we called Judd and I'm like, well, I guess we're going to rent a car and drive in. That was the – never had done that before. That Mm -hmm. was the longest drive. I think we got out of Dallas about 11 p.m., got here 4 or 5 a.m. I got to the hotel, slept a couple hours. Well, we had to go back to the airport to get my luggage because they wouldn't let us have that at the airport. So we came for the interview, longest interview process here, because I was exhausted that mm-hmm. day. And But things worked out well. We left on that Sunday. They took us to the airport. Well, and guess what? Another storm at DFW. We can't get out of Amarillo. And I looked at my wife and I said, see, God doesn't want us to leave Amarillo. And so we get back to Atlanta finally the night of the next day. We had to spend the night in the hotel again here. Finally got to Atlanta the next day, and uh, Scott Greer, who was the senior pastor at that time, he looked at me and he said, I don't want you getting back into your world and forgetting about us, so I want an answer by Thursday, you know, whether you want this job or not. And so Wednesday night, I still didn't know, honestly. I had—it was not about—it wasn't anything about coming here. It was all about leaving there. Okay. And loved our church. We had great friends in Atlanta. We were in South Atlanta, so we didn't have the traffic problems that, like, you know, Pastor Pollock's and those guys did in North Atlanta. Um, we didn't have that. And so we, we were having a great time. My wife had a fantastic job working for a freight forwarding company at the airport and just loved her job. And so we had a hard time saying yes, honestly, but it was all about leaving there. And then that Wednesday night, one of our elders, one of our deacons came in, they're like, tell me all. I was very honest about what I was doing, that I was coming for an interview. And they said, hey, what, you know, tell us all about it and told them. And I said, I still don't know what I'm going to do. And they looked me in the eye. They're like, Mark, we're going to have to have your head checked out by a psychiatrist if you say no to this. This hmm. is perfect for you and your wife. You're closer to home. I'm from Oklahoma City. My wife's from South Texas, from the Valley, Harlingen. Closer to family, closer to all that. That We love you. We want you to stay. But we also think you need to go. I just needed that release, yeah, I think, yeah. in some ways. And so called Judd the next morning. I said, all right, we're in. What know? was What was the job? A senior adult pastor okay. and men's minister. And
0: what had you been doing at the other church? I was
1: the senior pastor. I, I went as students and then became the senior pastor within okay. that five years. Okay, I had been senior pastor. I think two of or two or three something around. that. So
0: that's an interesting transition going from senior pastor. to— I didn't like it. Really? I don't. How big was it? A larger church no, it was or much was it, much smaller, it church? smaller church? Smaller. Okay.
1: Yeah, you know, it was two hundred ish. You know, in a small church in like in Atlanta, hospital calling took all day. Yeah. Because your hospitals were downtown and up north and it, you know, just was crazy. And then you know, as a small church, you you are doing everything, you're teaching all the time, uh, trying to come up with a sermon every Sunday after teaching Wednesday night, after you know, teaching again on Sunday night. And I just didn't like that process. I didn't feel like I ever got a day off because okay. I was always writing my sermon on Friday and Saturday. Which
0: is pretty common. Yeah,
1: for that's a small church world. Any anybody yeah. working a small yeah, church? Yeah, that's small church world. This was going to be very different from that. And I honestly, it was really weird coming to a large church. I mean, they were running twenty five hundred, three thousand, mm-hmm. somewhere around there when we came. And, and
0: we and, should say, I mean, that was when it was Paramount Terrace Christian. Yes. that was before it even made the transition. Right. Out to Hillside and became Hillside. Yeah,
1: Scott uh, Roy had retired. Roy Wheeler had retired. Mm-hmm. Scott was the senior pastor, and um, Judd was still there. I just remembered mm-hmm. on the in the uh, interview, I asked Judd, "How long are you here for?" And he's like, "I knew you were going to ask me that question." He already had another job. He offered. was on his way out. He was about a year. You know, it, it was going to be about another year, and uh, I had to really make that decision. You know, what I'm being called to the church. I'm not being called to work with Judd, although we'd always wanted to work together. And so that's how we wound up in Amarillo 23 and a half years ago, was being called to Paramount Terrace. So I started one, one of one. Okay.
0: Yeah. Well, that's easy to remember. Easy to then. remember, yeah. What, what was your impression, you and your wife? You know, you, you arrived in Amarillo in the dead of night. Oh, we could see it forever. Um, yeah. And just like
1: this light, at, at the you know, so far away. And that's just, a
0: good time to drive here when it's dark and you don't yeah, really see yeah. uh, what, you know, the flatness or whatever. Like, once you kind of got here and got settled and figured out this is where we are, like, What did you think about the city? So, other
1: than Harlingen, Texas, this is the smallest place I've ever lived. I'm I'm a city boy. Grew up in Oklahoma City, went to school in Dallas, and then ministered in in Atlanta. And so, I still, to this day, want occasional fix of smog, traffic, Mm -hmm. you know, concrete, steel, you know, and people, and uh, not as much as I used to want. But that was a little weird at first moving here. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. The first day um, at work here on that Monday, the newspaper. Uh, was laying there on this countertop in the break area. And I walked by and a big Longhorn steer on the front of the newspaper. And I laughed to myself and said, Zimmerman, you're not in in Atlanta anymore. That would have been a murder of five people or something like that on the front of the Atlanta, you know, newspaper, not a Longhorn steer. And so I was like, all right, this is going to be different. Um, We took us a while to get used to not having to get ready an hour ahead of time. I mean, we were always early to everything because it didn't take long to get anywhere here. Like it did in Atlanta. And so, but we loved it. It's very flat, uh, I grew up in Oklahoma City. We have somewhat trees, but you know, here. Some hills. Yeah. Some hills, a little bit. Yeah. And then Dallas, same way. Harlingen, more palm trees, you know, that kind of thing. But, and a lot of mesquite trees, but actual trees, not the bushes, mesquite bushes we have here that we call trees.
0: It's generous, Um, our definition of trees. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So our friends come from, is there in Atlanta? I realized that that term, as tall as a Georgia pine. I was like, oh my gosh, you know, that is tall. Our friends from Atlanta come here and they're like, where are the trees, mm-hmm. you know? And we were like, well, yeah, you know, over there you can see the end of the earth. It, you know, it's not the end of the earth, but you can see it from here, is how we kind of tell them. And so they they think it's weird to be able to see for those miles and miles and miles, you know. But Amarillo has the best sunsets. Yeah. I'm not Yeah, sure. you don't see those in Georgia because oh, no, you can't not, see past yeah. the, you can't the see past the trees, yeah. Yeah. And so um, absolutely that's probably one of my favorite things are the sunsets and the sunrises to to be able to watch.
0: Tell me, I'm interested. Since you worked for Paramount Terrace Christian before it became Hillside, and I know a lot of people look back and say, "Well, the, it's the same church," but like obviously there was sort of a change in personality, oh, yeah. and a big new campus, oh, a whole yeah. lot more people. Yeah. Uh, tell me what the church was like back then when you first started.
1: very traditional, um, traditional worship with a little bit of you know, I guess what they would call modern choruses thrown in. There were two mm-hmm. contemporary services. I still. Thought that was a generous, you know, uh, description of them for for that day, but um they were trying, you know, to be be different. You know, Scott was brand new to being a senior pastor, and they were just trying to figure out, uh, I guess, life and ministry after Roy Wheeler. You know, who was a pastor who had thirty three years. Yeah. Thirty three years. I mean, he was he built that well, along with God, had built that up from you know two three hundred to that. And it poured his heart and soul in it. And, you know, Scott was a very different kind of leader than than Roy was. And it, I don't care who it was, if it had been Judd, if it had been somebody else or Scott, I don't think anybody would have survived that transition. Yeah. Which makes me curious as to all these, you know, churches that are built on single personalities. You know, when that personality is not there, what's going to happen, you know, to— to that church, I mean, we saw that with Driscoll and yeah, Seattle yep. and things like that. When that major personality is gone, they just crumble the and fall apart. The church just kind of
0: disintegrates. And that's
1: one thing I love about what uh, Tommy Politz has done at Hillside is he's trying to not build it on his personality. It's on a team teaching approach right. and multiple campuses so that life goes on. you know, The ministry goes on, um, which I'm you know, figuring out right now. Ministry is going to go on without me yeah. you know, at, at Hillside because I'll be transitioning off here quickly. Uh, from the church
0: so tell me tell me what have you been doing had you been doing i guess on staff at hillside up until you know, now <laughs> or the next couple yeah, of years so
1: after scott left i became the interim pastor uh, senior pastor till we found the new guy which ended up being tommy politz we're both from atlanta but did not know each other uh, so yeah. you don't all know each other no there? no no not in atlanta because you probably do here in amarillo yeah right? yeah or at least know of them yeah. i had never heard of this guy actually the common denominator was judd wilhite okay. judd had met tommy um and so th- w- that transition came on as the executive pastor. Worked that for a while. Then I just need, needed a break from leadership, and so I kind of stepped away. Tommy was like, "Hey, our our uh, missions budget line item is the second largest bu- line item of the church, and we don't have anybody over that. It was all they led at Paramount Terrace." Hmm. And he said, I really want a pastor to lead that. And I said, I cannot believe I'm going to say this, but I'm an organizer. I'm, I have the gift of administration. So I was like, hey, let me take it. Let me administrate the heck out of it. We'll pass it on. Well, I never did pass it on okay. until he asked me to consider becoming the operations pastor, which was overseeing all of the campuses. I also did campus development in between. So I've built all of our campuses. Okay. I've been that liaison between the general contractor the staff even been the general contractor on two of our campuses, which was a weird thing to do as a pastor to also be the general contractor. Yeah, and uh, try to not you know be too hard on your subs. You're supposed to have grace. That is interesting. Yeah. T-
0: tell me. Well, I'm, I'm thinking about your role being um, an operations pastor. You know that it's couched in a ministry term. Whereas the same job, like at a bank, you would be the operations manager and you would oversee, you know, building new branches and how to run these branches. Tell me like when you're in that position, what's the ministry aspect of it? What takes it beyond an administrative
1: overseeing sort of position? That was one of the big reasons I wanted to say no to the job was my fear of lack of ministry outlets, Mm -hmm. for lack of a better term. Um... So I just began praying about that, and um God met that desire and that in some very different ways. He gave me a group of young men that came to work for me uh, in our campus development and operations area that were wondering, is ministry for me, you know, but yet uh, weren't in our internship program. So we kind of became a background internship program, and I got to pour into several in fact, just left lunch with several of those guys. Walked through them that journey from hey is ministry for me mm-hmm. to ministry is for me, all but you know two or three of them out of, of that big group are now in ministry somewhere. So we helped them figure that out, and got to have, live life with them along the way. Uh, and so that was really cool how he let he gave me a group of guys to pour into. So that became my ministry. Okay, I honestly I didn't care about building the buildings and. Taking care of the buildings. I I still want to build people and I want to take care of people. I'm a shepherd, I'm a pastor. So that was kind of the aside job, Mm -hmm. you know, from what I had uh, that I had to do. And in ministry, there's always things you have to do in any role, especially a big
0: church building. I mean, you're
1: dealing with HVAC and plumbing and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And so, but I got to bring my administrative skills to that. So it, it just really hit on a lot of cylinders. And then from that to, to this opportunity, yeah. yeah so you park.
0: you mentioned the transition um, and and what's you know how your role is going to be changing or at least your career is going to be changing in the next couple of years. So walk me through sort of the development of the transformation park idea. You know, maybe from how it started or or how you got involved with it? Sure.
1: I understand part of it because I wasn't a part of it. You know, I've been told. and I know it's been in the making for a long time. Yeah, several years. Um, Guy and Saunders Resource Center, which is on Tyler Street downtown, they used to be Tyler Resource Center. Mm -hmm. Tyler Resource Center, the building, I understand, was built in the 70s based on 30 people. So fast forward to this winter when it snowed really yeah. heavily and they had people in it. There was over 200 people in this building built for 30 and dogs and, you know, just keep adding on. It was in children and it was it was a recipe for this bomb going to explode after three days of being in close proximity. Because exactly, yeah. they've been in pr- close proximity at night at Salvation Army or Face City and then close proximity there. Much more close proximity at Guy Saunders. Guy and Saunders' building is just woefully inadequate, Because, but that's what we have. That's the only day center we have other than the park, mm-hmm. uh, PRC, and they're not too far from where um, they're, they're kind of downtown. I forget what street, but they do an amazing job. They, yeah, it's not they, big either, though. It's not big. I mean, they're going to grow. Right. They've got a building project, and uh, Valerie and her crew do a fantastic job meeting the needs of, of some people, but it's a smaller group. And so most of them are just hanging out, you know, in the various rooms at, at Guy and Saunders. So Guy and Saunders knew they needed to do something. So Joe Street, the board uh, of Guy and Saunders, he's on the board and the rest of them, they decided we need to figure something out. So they began a building project and found some land, uh, I think at 4th and Parker, mm-hmm. right around there, 5th and Parker, and um, I think Potter County owned the land. They struck a deal. They bought the land from Potter County. They begin this uh, this building project. Well, they went through a couple of versions of that. The city gets involved about how can we come alongside you and help. And then Pastor Tommy gets involved and, and Jonathan Mast at Hillside. They, they all get involved. And this whole Transformation Park thing just blossoms out of that to where what I find amazing and Again, I'm not done exhaustive research, but I can't find an example anywhere else in the United States. We've got the, what I call the three C's of community coming together, and that's city, church, and commerce, yeah, to solve this problem, yeah, or at least try to you know, make progress towards solving this problem. Um, usually, it's two trying to convince the third to to join in, and the third doesn't want anything to do with it, and it can be any of the three. Um, and so, we've got a unique opportunity for these three to work together to. To make some progress. Um, so in, I think it was October, uh, Tommy calls me on a Friday and says, hey, we're, I know it's late notice. But what are you done for lunch? I'm like, Well, absolutely nothing. It's my day off. But okay. So we met at uh, Tokyo for a little uh, salad there and mm-hmm. uh, love that stuff. And he laid this out and he said, we wrote the job description and it kept coming back to you because Jonathan and I kept looking at each other saying, that's Zimmerman, that's Zimmerman, that's Zimmerman. So he presented everything, and honestly, at first, I was like, "No, you know, I, I, I didn't say no right then." Yeah. Came home, my wife says, "What did he want?" And I tell her, and and I hadn't even read the job description yet. I tell her everything he said. And she goes, "Well, let me." She was at our, sitting at our dining room table. She says, "Let me read it." She takes it, she reads it, she kind of disgustedly throws it down on the table, and she goes, "He's right. It's you." <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, okay, I guess I better read the job description." Yeah. You know, I don't meet I don't meet everything they had in there, but you know, a lot of it, yes. I, I all these things that I've been doing at Hillside and before are all rolling into this this next chapter of my life. Okay. Um, I turned the double nickel this summer and I honestly was like, "All right, I've got probably, you know, 10 years, 13 years left before I want to think about retiring." So, all right, God, what do you want me to do? And this started Right after COVID, um, my mom passed away from COVID. Both of my wife's parents who lived with us passed away from COVID wow. all within. And then uh, another cousin of mine, and she had a cousin, all within six months. They all died from COVID. And so we were empty nesters in a weird way. We now didn't have senior adults yeah, living for with sure. us. So we'd been on this journey for a while of praying, all right, God, what's next? And really hadn't heard anything. A couple things came up, but they were really easy no's. That's not for us. And in our mind, in the ministry world, when you change jobs, you change cities. Yeah. So we were expecting to have to leave Amarillo. So I guess just ignorance on our part or not trusting God, we get to stay in Amarillo and I get to start a new ministry and do something different. And so I came on, I said, finally said yes after a little while. Many, many things went into this yes. My wife being open to change, mm-hmm. and she's not really open to change a whole lot. I lost a dear mentor from Dallas Christian College, a prof, a friend, and his, I, it just kind of just came flooding back in my head. No insignificant people in the kingdom of God was his mantra. Hmm. And so we went to his funeral in Dallas. We were walking out. Debbie grabs my hand, and um, I kept saying I was about 80 percent sure. She grabs my hand and she's like, we can't say no to this now, can we? After what we just heard again about Mark, his name is Mark Worley. And I'm like, I'm glad you said that first because that's exactly the way I feel. No, we can't say no to this job. It finally dawned on me, Jason, that 80% was all uh, surety was all I was going to ever get. That's the faith step sure, you yeah. have to take. And as a pastor, I had not realized that. I kept thinking I had to be a hundred percent sure. Yeah. And so I called Tommy. I'm like, we're in. I think I surprised him a little bit because it was earlier than he thought. We kind of had decided I would make a decision. But I'm like, there's just no question in it. We're, we're in. And so from October on, I've been doing both jobs, Hillside, and trying to get this off the ground. It's radically different. Every church I've ever gone into has already had everything already put together and, and you know paperwork done and all of that. I mean, we're starting from scratch yeah. here. That's a whole nother animal in and of itself. And so I just actually technically moved out of my office this week. Okay, haven't been in it for many, many weeks. We knew at some point and kind of Tommy, I talked about maybe March, spring break. We would know kind of when that was. Tried to hold on a little bit longer to May. And then I finally was like, I can't do both. I'm killing myself. I'm working seven days a week, you know, and something has to go. We know this is what's going to go. But I'm still technically on the staff because I have to finish our canyon building project. I promised Tommy I would finish that out, um, and so that won't be done till you know August, September, okay. somewhere around there. So then I will technically be totally off the staff. So I wouldn't even say I'm—I'm I'm probably 25% time still on Hillside staff, you know, but 75%. Um, actually, probably 100% on top of that 25% for Transformation Park. Okay,
0: and we should say Transformation Park doesn't. Really exist yet? It's a Just it's, a plan, right? yeah, it's so a plan, right? And so the groundbreaking uh, was in early May, and there, you know, I, I'm interested and kind of want to go back to the idea that it's this public-private partnership, sure, which in itself is unique when you get mm-hmm. a city involved and private donations mm-hmm. and they're kind of manage it, and then you bring the church in, you know, knowing how mega churches work. Often, if they think, okay, here's a great idea for ministry in our city, let's start this as this arm of our ministry, but it's still owned by the church. Sure. And this is one in which Hillside has just given a bunch of money mm-hmm. toward the idea, mm-hmm. and then, you know, given an exactly. executive yeah. to the, the idea. Yeah. Tell me about that mindset, I guess, at Hillside to where the church thought, okay, this is this is something that we can help start, but we don't need to maintain ownership of it or control over it. Is
1: that an accurate way to yeah, it? no, exactly. It's the three C's coming together. Um, I mean, really, the, the partnership is between Transformation Park, the nonprofit mm-hmm. and the city. But making up this nonprofit, I mean, the city has their portion of it or, you know, that they're pouring into it. And, um, and then it's really the commerce and churches coming mm-hmm. together. Uh, from the, the get go, from the very beginning, we want it to be Amarillo's project, not Hillside's project. And so I think sometimes when a large church does start something and they do hold on to it, no other church wants to get involved. Because, right. Oh, yeah. Hillside has that. They don't need us. Man, we we want every church in town to be involved in this. We want every commerce. So this is a thing of of homelessness affects every one of us, whether we want to admit it or not, in some way, shape, or form. It, it affects all of us. So all of us should come together to try to help solve this issue. And that's what we're trying to do. It's been an interesting balance. Being we we are a religious organization. Mm-hmm. That's how we're registering. And here's how I keep putting it: is we're going to serve them like Jesus would serve them, whether they are of faith, no faith, mm-hmm. or another faith. Okay, we will still serve them. That is not a barrier to being in in Transformation Park. But we're also not going to apologize for sharing the love of Christ. And I mean, we're we're even talking about launching Transformation Church you know, which is inside Transformation really? Park. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And it'll probably look radically different than any other church in town because it's going to be basically homeless people, mm-hmm. you know, and maybe the the area neighborhood and people coming in to help. But, yeah, I mean, that's also on the plans. I mean, we'll do Bible studies, but we'll also do other things too. And so it's not just, you know, indoctrination, you know, because I really feel like I think we all know that you've got to meet those basic human rights, those physical needs, water food shelter once you meet those three then we gain their trust then we can speak into their lives on the spiritual needs and all those higher needs like drug addiction you know alcoholism you know those kinds of things and so we've got to meet those basic needs because anybody that's taken sociology I think what Maslow's hierarchy of yeah. needs
0: you know stop preaching at me yeah I'm hungry yeah
1: because I've had several people tell me that very thing. That's why they don't like to go to some of their mm-hmm. shelters because they're like, I'm starving and they're sitting there telling me what a rotten human being I am you know or that I need Jesus. I know I need Jesus, but I also need a hamburger yeah you know yeah. And, and things like that. And so that keeps them from going to those things. And so I don't want and I'm not saying that's wrong, that's just the the avenue they've chosen to take. you know we'll preach the gospel, but we're gonna we're gonna serve them first and then you know then we'll bring the gospel into it. So uh, we've got to gain, you know, their trust and meet their basic needs first.
0: I want to talk about the vision for Transformation Park, uh, just you know, in, in concrete terms, because there are a couple of interesting elements, as I understand it. Number one, there's the day center that you yes. mentioned. Yeah, uh, will be called the Joe and Laura Street Day Center because the the streets have given a, a sizable donation yes. to make that happen. There's also a community of tiny houses. Yes, which is maybe not new nationally, but it is definitely yes. new to Amarillo as a way to address homelessness and to actually give some private space to these mm-hmm. individuals. And I wonder if you could talk to me about that element of it. The and, cabin community? Yeah. and,
1: the, and what, what that's going to look yeah, yeah, like. Yeah, yeah. It's actually two parts. It'll be on the south side of 5th and, and but up to 6th Street. And um, it will have two sections that we're calling the cabin community and the safe space. Okay. So I'll start with the safe space because okay. I think that's going to be most everybody's introduction to Transformation Park. So – you're a cop right now you know one of our our police officers and you're trying to um compassionately enforce the no panhandling the no camping you tell them you can't stay here you got to move along they ask where well during the daytime there's nowhere to send them Mm -hmm. and at nighttime if you miss the open window at face city or salvation army there's no place to send them unless code blue is open which is only if it's 32 degrees or below during the winter and so there's no place to send them. So this will be a place to where the police can drop off anybody. I call it, we're playing whack-a-mole. If You remember that game, whack-a-mole? Mm-hmm. We're telling the, the homeless to go over here, you know, and, and then, oh, you can't stay there. You got to go over here. And they pop up over here. No, you got to go over here. And we're just playing whack-a-mole right now. We're and everything's really, got a
0: barrier that they're yeah, having trouble and, getting and, past. And we're not
1: solving anything. Yeah. Matter of fact, numbers show we're not solving anything. Our point-in-time count in January, which is basically means we go out and we count homeless, and I'll get back to, your, to the answer. We were up, up about 150 people over last year, and that's just the ones that we found and counted, hmm. little than the ones that we didn't find that day because it was a bitterly cold day that we do that in January. We'll do it again in August. We'll kind of average those numbers and see. So like the discrepancy last year, was 580-something people counted, but yet Guy and Saunders said they saw f- over 1,450 different unique individuals throughout the year. Interesting. So those numbers, there's a discrepancy. Yeah. Are we just not finding them and counting them? Are they transient? We know it's probably both. And so our numbers are up, even in the ones that we found. And so if it's 650, I'm anxious to see what Guy and Saunders sees uh, this year. But we don't even have enough beds to house the six fifty. When we did the count, only one-third of that 650 were in shelters that night. Two-thirds were living on the streets. And we can we have a few more beds we could put people in, but honestly, Amarillo does not have enough beds. Yeah. Uh, so this is where the whole cabin community comes into. But the safe space, police drop them off. They come in. They go through security. And it's just this big, wide-open space. And you know, a lot of homeless people don't want to stay within four walls yet. They haven't been within four walls for some of them years, you know. And so they can camp out basically any within this area. We'll have one area that has a canopy, at least get them out of rain and snow and that kind of thing. Um, There's a lot that goes into this other than this. And then we'll have one area that has a, like a canopy, but it has sides on it and garage doors, warehouse-ish, I guess you could say it's enclosed. And the garage doors can be left open on a nice day, but on those cold days, it can close down and it's heated. It's not air conditioned, but it can be heated. They'll have showers. They'll have uh, access to what I call grab and go food. If they miss um, the you know the hot meals at the day center, they still can be fed. Filtered water. You know the average lifespan of a homeless person is only fifty years old. They wow. don't get medical care. They don't have good water, and they don't have nutritious food. Hmm. So if we can help meet those basic needs, and we're calling it the safe space because a lot of them, they're. Th- they're also 3 times more likely to be victimized living on the streets than the average resident. And so they sleep you'll see a lot of them sleeping in public during the day because it's safer than try to sleep somewhere at night because they'll get victimized. Okay. That's everything from rape to robbery to you know getting beaten down to you know who knows what all goes into that. And so that's where why we're calling the safe space. They can sleep in safety. And really the only rules there that I see for right now is be kind and courteous Mm -hmm. to your neighbor and to the staff. And don't bring in probably the two things that we will have rules about are going to be drugs and weapons, Mm -hmm. but we will have lockers call amnesty lockers outside where they can lock those things up. Cause honestly they need the weapon on the street because of that victimization, the drugs we'll, we'll deal with that later, you know, after we gain their trust and we've met their needs and so what they put in the amnesty locker is their business. When I first saw this in LA, I was not thrilled about it. Um, as the pastor, you're like, no, no, we got to you know, take that away and make them stop that right now. But you got to gain their trust. You yeah. got to meet those needs first. Then you can address that later. What um, does
0: the safety aspect look like once they're inside? Um, and you you do have a lot of people from a lot of different backgrounds, a yeah. lot of different levels yeah. of maybe trauma yes. or instability. yes and they're all in one place together. Yeah. I I would say you're not assuming we'll all get a, along oh, no, and, no, no, and no, be no. nice to no. each other. So how yeah. how do you manage yeah. that? so
1: uh, a lot of training on our staff's side, mm-hmm. uh, it's called trauma informed and there's other things where you just approach them differently. I mean, you know, like right now, we all have bad days. Every one of us has a bad day where we're a ruder to somebody or where we react in, we react in a way that you know, we probably shouldn't have. That happens with them too, you know? But yet, like at Guy and Saunders sometimes, well, then they're barred, okay. you know, and they can't ever come back. They were having a bad day, yeah. you know, some of them. Some of And them, their days going to get worse agree. if they can't yeah. have access to those yeah, resources. Exactly. And so we've got to rethink some of those things like that. Also, lots of security. I, you know, honestly, <laughs> I think that's going to be our number one budget line item mm-hmm. is going to be security because, again, we want them to be safe and we want our staff to be safe. And so we've got to make sure that happens. And then, uh, you know, we will also uh, try to be good neighbors to the neighborhood mm-hmm. and also try to de-escalate some of those situations to where we don't have to call the police. And so in other communities where they've put, put these in, these cabin communities, the crime rate actually has gone down, which means the police have fewer calls to, to reply to. Hmm. And so these amnesty lockers work in this way. Whatever they lock up, they're not trying to sneak in. And if you tell them at the door, you can't bring your drugs, you can't bring your weapons in, they're going to try to sneak it in. But if they know that you're not going to take it, so what happens is that they lock it up is your incident rates within your community actually go down. And there's statistics for that. Um, There's lots of these uh, being built in Los Angeles. Los Angeles County has 69,000 homeless people estimated. And they, you uh, know, they don't have enough space, uh, enough beds, and so they're putting these in uh, these cabins. So safe space from there. I don't know what the the trigger point is that they move into a cabin. Mm-hmm. One, they got to want to stay within four walls. These cabins are only sixty four square foot. Yeah, they're small. Yeah, they're small. Most of them will be singles. Seventy percent of homeless mm-hmm. are single older white men. Honestly, I assume that whole area is going to be seventy percent. We're sectioning off part of that to be uh, a special area to where it might be a a single woman or victims of domestic violence or um, just these weird situations that you get in that nobody knows what to do with. Like a couple of years ago, there was a 21-year-old young man who had custody of his baby. He's homeless. Wow. Baby mama's not in the picture. No one would take him because everything's designed for a woman with a baby finally salvation army relented and said we'll let you stay until we get another woman that needs that room you know because they're our top priority i get that but what do you do with this guy with the yeah. six-month-old baby yeah so things like that so we're going to cordon off a section that's for these weird situations mm-hmm. you know but then we're also going to have off the day center a family unit who's it's not it's not going to be anywhere near this it'll be across the street at the day center and these will be the hundred square foot units that can house up to four people. So moms with kids, that's the family I grew up. My dad died when I was nine, single mom. Um, I'll move mountains for a single mom yes. with kids. And because I, I look back and I just see how so many times my mom sacrificed eating and sacrificed certain things so that we had enough. And we were probably like most people, a couple of paychecks away from being homeless or move or not having our house and having to move in with somebody or a relative. And so my sister and mom did a great job after my dad died at nine until, you know, till she got married and then mom, you know, until gee, mom will always be mom, yeah. you know, um, but they did their very best in trying to take care of it. And I think that's part of what happens. I mean, you think about it, you're living paycheck to paycheck, your car breaks down, you get sick um, and you're no longer the breadwinner. You start uh, missing, you know, rent payments. Next thing you know, you and your kids are living in your car. Yeah. That's the segment, I think, that makes up a lot of that difference are people who are living in their cars. They're not in shelters. We don't. They're, they're kind of mobile, so we don't get to count them so easily. But they're at Walmart. You go at dusk or dark, they're all lined up on the back of hmm. the Walmart parking lot, especially the one on Grand. Um, we live near the one on Georgia and I-27. It's becoming the same way. These are also people, I think, that drive from city to city because they don't know what to do. They panhandle just enough to get to... You know, to Albuquerque, right? Right, Oklahoma right. City from here. But um, one of the ladies I, I want to bring on, my staff, she lived that life of living in her car with her kids. And so she has brought great insight. And so that is something we kind of developed towards the end of our planning was a safe parking area where they can still live in their car, but they can park in safety. They have access to restrooms. They'll have access to the day center once we open. So breakfast, showers, laundry, all of that. And then, hopefully, our goal is to get them out of that parking lot by eight eight thirty. They're going to work, or they're taking the kid to school, and then that becomes our visitors' parking lot during the day. Okay. And so that was one that I think, honestly, is probably already too small from what I'm seeing, but it's at least a step in the right direction.
0: What's the timeline? Uh, for, of building for everything? Oh, yeah. Man. I mean, um, do you have uh, do you have a goal? I know the okay, timelines I've, now I've are very squishy. Okay, I've said this
1: for. Four months now, but 18 to 24 months. And I'll still okay. say 18 to 24 months from here. So I'm going to say sometime in 25. All right. We are just now sending the day center to engineers. As any you know the engineers do, they change up footprint sometimes because you can't put something here that you have because there's a steel beam here or something yeah. like that. So once the engineers get involved, we'll have a better timeline. I hope we have this bid out by end of August into September so we really know what we're looking at. And have a better timeline, um, but I think from whenever we you know have that timeline, it's going to be twelve to eighteen months from from that point. Okay. So right now, I'm going to still say we're probably six months away from that ish.
0: The, the last thing I, I want to ask is, you know, you've spent twenty plus years in ministry. You spent the last you know couple of years working within this larger nonprofit partnership sort of arena. What have you learned about Amarillo people in the process, whether it's just ministering on a day-to-day basis to dealing with the generosity of businesses and, and individuals like that? I mean, what are some of the takeaways you have, you know, having been in this
1: community now for a couple of decades? I, I, I reiterate and I echo and I applaud everybody what they've said before. Amarillo has some of the nicest people you'll ever meet. That's one reason why we stayed one reason why we haven't tried to go anywhere else in some ways is because the people are just fabulous that, that we get to minister to and minister with. Um, and I mean, some of our best friends are here now, you know, and so people they're, they're generous. One thing Amarillo doesn't lack is feeding homeless. Now we <clears throat> lack in, in housing them and and getting them off the streets, but they get fed by so many different organizations that, I didn't even know existed, you know. And I'm still learning about organizations like, oh, we feed in this park on Saturday, or we, you know, supply these needs to this this group on Wednesday, or something like that. You know, um, that's already going on, and so we want to, you know, just help coordinate some mm-hmm. of that. And one thing I love about this whole idea of transformation park is hopefully the majority of them will be in one area, and so all the social workers don't have to go chasing them around town. We have a vendor a partner who's building, who's designed and is building us a commercial kitchen and they're going to provide food for three meals a day Hmm. for no charge. And so, I mean, you talk about generous. That's, Oh, that changed our even planning because we didn't have a commercial kitchen planned. We thought we would be, you know, having churches bring stuff in and things like that, but we can actually, You know, plan nutritious meals for these people you know and so that was a game changer for us but our people are just generous people giving people caring people great people and so that's why we've yeah we were called here but that's why we've chosen to stay here
0: hey amarillo is sponsored this week by jimmy john's gourmet sandwiches jimmy john's has three locations in amarillo two along i-40 and one downtown near the ballpark With baseball season underway, the downtown location will be open before home games, and these franchise locations are owned and operated by an Amarillo resident. Summer wraps are back at Jimmy John's, so be sure to hit them up. Thanks to the locally owned Jimmy John's for sponsoring the show. This episode of Hey Amarillo is also supported by Lazy Boy Home Furnishings. You know Lazy Boy is a national brand, but its Amarillo store is independently owned and operated by the Hawkins family, who live right here in town. And here's the thing, they offer a lot more than just recliners. The locally owned Lazy Boy Home Furnishings has a ton of products in stock, ready to take home or deliver today. Go visit the showroom at Lazy Boy of Amarillo today at 3636 Sonsi. Okay, I'm back with Mark Zimmerman. Mark, this is the part of the show I call Eight Straight. Eight Straight is sponsored every week by Panhandle Plains Historical Museum in Canyon. It's the largest history museum in Texas, and its collection includes several Ice Age fossils discovered at Cedar Canyon, a site uh, near Cedar Canyon, including the skeletal remains of a giant ground sloth, a dire wolf, and a prehistoric horse. In fact, the Texas Panhandle is one of the best sources worldwide of Ice Age fossils. Uh, which is
1: surprising. And the museum is just awesome. I've been there several times.
0: It's awesome. There's a lot of, for for a kid who likes uh, paleontology and dinosaur stuff, like there's a lot of cool stuff there. A lot of it found in this area. Uh, You can learn more at panhandleplains.org. Okay. When you think
1: of Amarillo 10 years from now, what do you hope for? I hope we've made a huge inroad in the homeless community. We're seeing less and less of them on the street, that we're getting more housed. For some reason, seventy percent keeps sticking in my head. In ten years, if we have conquered seventy percent of this issue, I'll be a happy, happy Mm -hmm. man. Okay, it's going to take a lot to get there. Yeah, it's an elephant-sized problem with no easy answers, and I'm not sure what bite you start with. Right, to eat uh, the elephant. How do you eat the elephant one bite at a time? But what bite do you start with? Because there's so many bites to it. Yeah. Okay. Other than wind. What does this area have too much of? Well, we lead the nation in—I mean, lead the state in homelessness. Is that
0: in terms of, like, per per capita?
1: Yeah, per capita, Hmm. 30.1%. For every 10,000. Interesting. We are worse than Austin. We're worse than Dallas, you know, on percentage wise. Do you have a sense why that is? Is it our location? Is it I think people we're passing on those down those crossroads I-40? of so many, like 87, 87, 27, you know, mm-hmm. 40. And then you think about our viewing territory, you know, for TV. Everybody that comes here for either the airport or uh, medical care, if you become homeless or, you know, get kicked out of your house or or whatever, you're going to migrate here because those smaller towns in the panhandle don't have the resources. Amarillo is the big city, you know, that you migrate to. So I think that's a lot of it. Okay. What does this area not have enough of? Well, obviously, as I said, beds for homeless. Beds, yeah. But man, I don't. Other than that, I'm not sure what because we got plenty of truck stops, we got plenty of coffee shops, <laughs> we got plenty of banks, you know, yep. uh, plenty of uh, Mexican restaurants. That a we lot have, of churches, so, a lot of churches on every corner, you know, pharmacies and all that thing. Um, I think sometimes my wife will love this H E B. Okay, we want H E B. Yeah, you know, we love that. We'll, we'll drive to Lubbock Yeah, but she grew up with it. That was Mecca for her and her her father and mother when they lived here. You're with us when they were alive. They would drive to Lubbock just to go to the Lubbock HEB. Um, and I I've grown to love HEB too. Nothing an odd knock against United or any of the others that are here. But there's just something different. It's like Trader Joe's. Yeah, you know. Yeah, there's a cult following to it. I think in some ways, and we're part of that. Well, HEB if, if I remember
0: right, I think the United Market Street concept was United's. Attempt to bring an HEB sort of style uh, to their grocery stores. But after, you know, 25 years of that, Amarillo is ready for like the actual HEB, I guess. Um, What's your favorite neighborhood
1: in Amarillo? We live in Paramount. That's because we wanted to be close to the church. But I think if we were to move, which we've talked about, um, we would probably want to live outside of town, Mm -hmm. uh, a little bit of land. But then I think, oh crap, I got to mow that land. You yeah. know? So, do I really want land? Um, we love driving at Christmas time through Puckett and through Wolfland and through places like that. I'm not sure if I have a favorite neighborhood because I would have to say Paramount because we love our neighbors and we love our neighborhood. Okay. What's your favorite local coffee shop? I'm not a coffee snob. I actually prefer Folgers mm-hmm. or something like that. I don't like dark roasted as I call burnt coffee, mm-hmm. you know, roasters is too dark for me. Um, you know, they're blend, uh, same with Starbucks. I don't know if I can mention them, but you know, I know they're not local. If I have, if I have a meeting, it'll be either roasters or palace. If somebody wants to go to those two, I tried scooters the other day and it was, it was okay um my mom laughs at me because i i don't want my coffee to taste like coffee i want it to taste like dessert okay <laughs> so it's got lots of uh, flavored cream in it and lots of like sweetener in yeah, it. so that's right i don't want the coffee taste so i'm probably not a good one to ask on that but if i had to go you know for a meeting or somewhere which we have many times i love the new georgia palace coffee mm-hmm. beautiful cool vibe to it the canyon one of course is great too and then the roasters on Georgia. I mean, I, I've had tons of meetings okay. there. So.
0: What's your favorite local restaurant or food truck?
1: I'm a Mexican food guy or Tex Mex guy. Those are different. They I'm are different. Tex Mex yeah. guy. Um, I love El Giro, mm-hmm. uh, which is usually there at the Boulevard and Grand, because mm-hmm. I'll usually. Hit it on Wednesday night after I do teach my Bible study at our North Grand Campus. Okay. Hillside's North Grand Campus. Right. Um, and so I'll a lot of times stop there. Wednesdays Great tacos there. Wednesdays seem to be taco day for me yeah. for some reason. you know, And not Tuesdays. It's, it's Wednesdays with me. So I'll hit that one. If I had to choose, I like different things from different places. But if I had to choose, it would be Tacos Garcia okay. on, on Ross Osage. Love that place because they have phenomenal salsa, phenomenal. And to me, that's the kicker. If you yeah. don't have good salsa, I'm not coming back. Okay. We had a heck of a time finding a good place in Atlanta. Um, this is how bad it got towards our end of our five years there. On the border came to town, and that was the best place to get Tex Mex. Was on the border, and we know. Yeah. Notoriously, it's disappeared from memory yes, after yes, having a very yeah. prominent location yeah, yeah, on i Yes, and then just the food quality went down yeah. and all that because there's just so many better places to eat. Yeah. Okay. Other than your own, what's your favorite local nonprofit? I love what the park is doing. I love Eastridge, uh, what they're doing. Um, Eastridge Christian… Uh, uh, ministries, ministry, I think is what they're yeah. calling it. Something like that. Yeah. Well, we just call it Eastridge. sorry. Yeah. Um but I think uh, snack Pack for kids. Uh, I mean, that has just grown and helped so many of our kids. Even as the the uh, missions minister at Hillside, I pushed us towards that because that to me was so so needed. Mm-hmm. Okay, when was the last time you visited Palmdur Canyon? It's been a while. My brother-in-law, when he comes down, he he loves to go to hiking there, so we'll go down. But the last couple times he's been here, I've had other things and haven't been. So I'm going to say it's been over a year probably. Right. But I love that place. I used to take my dog and we would walk it, uh, walk the trails and all of that. But um, we haven't done that in quite a long time. And she's gained a lot of weight lately. And I heard one time if your dog is fat, then you're not getting enough exercise. So obviously, Olive and I need to go walking a whole lot more. She's a good
0: barometer for uh, your own health. Yes,
1: yes. Okay. Well, that concludes the eight straight questions.
0: I like to close by asking my guests to endorse something. So what's one thing you would like listeners to know about
1: or to experience? Man, sod poodles, but I'm a baseball guy. Okay. I love the experience at Hodgetown. We have season tickets. To me, there's just nothing better than, you know, smelling hot dogs. Not that I'm trying to eat them all the time, but you know, the crack of the bat and the roar of the crowd. I mean, I absolutely love that atmosphere. That's why I don't want a suite uh, sit in a suite upstairs okay I want to be down there I want to smell it hear it you know ours is almost behind home plate we have really good seats I, we, and there's not move. a bad seat there's I mean, not everything's close to the action I think everybody whether you're a huge baseball fan or not it's different being at the park than trying to watch baseball on TV mm-hmm. I love that too um, but it's like different, as different as playing golf and watching golf you know there's it's just not the same so Hodge Town by, okay. by hands down
0: Mark Zimmerman Thanks for being on the podcast. Hey, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. And that concludes the episode. I want to say thanks again to Mark for the interview. You can learn more about Transformation Park at mytransformationpark.com. also want to thank the Texas Route 66 Festival for sponsoring the show, along with the locally owned Jimmy John's, uh, Lazy Boy Home Furnishings, and Panhandle Plains Historical Museum. Don't forget about Night at PPHM, which is happening on June 9th next week. And thanks, of course, to Angelina Marie for editing the show. Thank you for listening. Hey Amarillo exists on a weekly basis because people listen to it, and I appreciate it. And also because of listeners like you who support the show financially. Uh, you can do that through patreon.com slash amarillo. Hey Amarillo's executive producers include Jason Burr, Katie Linger, Corey Burns, Josh Wood, Wes Reeves, Cindy Graham, and Barbara and Jim Witten. This has been episode 302. My name is Jason Boyette, and I'll see you next week.